Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. If you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to pull them out and turn to Acts chapter 16. Kind of a funny place in the Bible to go when you're going to study the book of Philippians, but you'll see why in just a little bit. Today, we're about to begin our journey through the letter that a man wrote about 2,000 years ago to a church in those days in a place called Philippi. And we're going to begin this journey today and learning a little bit more about that church. And so I hope it's a real blessing to you as it is for me. It's commonly called the book of Philippians, but really it's a letter from Paul to the church at Philippi or to believers just like we are here today. Well, if you want to know how I began to come up with our study, about uh, three months ago or so, I began to survey you to sense what is going on in your lives and ministry and then what particular book of the Bible you would like to learn. And after we've done a survey, it quickly rose to the surface. You can see that God was there, that we wanted to learn about the book of Philippians. Now, some of you might be wanting to know, why would we want to study this particular book to learn more about how to be a better person, maybe a better partner, maybe a better parent, maybe a better provider, maybe even a better parishioner? Well, in any case, I'd like to give you some reasons why we should study the book of Philippians so that you might want to lean into this for your own study because it's such an important book. First of all, we found out that Philippians is in Scripture. And we know that there's a verse in the Bible that says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And then it goes on to say, and is profitable that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped to every good work. Now, if I could make that applicable to the book of Philippians, we would read it this way. The book of Philippians is given by the inspiration of God that the person of God, that would be you and me, may be thoroughly equipped to do good deeds. And so if we want to do good deeds, we need to be equipped. And one way we do that is by knowing what God has to say to us through this letter that Paul wrote some 2,000 years ago. So there's great truth in there for us to be all that God would have us to be. Now, the converse of that could be true. If we don't study it to learn to apply it, then there'll be a part of us that won't know how to do the things that God would want us to do. So that's part of it. Second reason why we should study the book of Philippians is that it's a springboard into the, the knowledge of God. Now, sometimes on some Sundays, I'm going to cover a lot of material in the book of Philippians. Some Sundays, I'm going to just give a little bit in Philippians, and then we're going to dive into the rest of Scripture so that you'll see how that Philippians and the truths found in that book actually is connected to greater truths in the Bible. So we're not going to speed go through the book of Philippians, but at times we're not going to bog down either. We're going to use Philippians as a springboard into the wonderful swimming pool, we might say, of God's knowledge. The third reason is because the book of Philippians is going to teach us how to have the peace of God that passes all understanding. I know this is not new to most of you, but there are a lot of people today that have so much uh, inconsistency and problems and affliction and disruption in their life that they often think that maybe tranquilizers and drugs or maybe tranquilizing books that are out there, if they read them or take them, that that'll give them a certain degree of peace. Well, often we find that that's really not the case, that we're going to find that in order for us to have the real peace while the rest of the world is kind of crumbling around us is to have the peace of God. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. 
you and I know that when our world begun, begins to really get rocking and rolling, we think that if we can take control of our world, if we can make things happen, all of a sudden our little life becomes better. We like to be in control. And it's true, sometimes we can. If we're controlling this, things kind of calm down. But there are times in our life that we cannot control certain things that happen. And that's why we as Christians need to learn that it's not how much we control that gives us the peace. It's our faith in a God who is in control that gives us the peace even when the rest of the world around us may not be balanced and stable. So we need to learn about the peace of God and we'll learn that from the book of Philippians. And then a fourth and final reason we would want to study the book of Philippians is because it's a letter of resounding joy. It was neat because today on the third floor, as we were walking out after the Sunday school time that they had with Bill, what a great teacher he is and a great class, good crowd there this morning. I said, I'm looking forward to teaching the book of Philippians and learning what God has to say. And the person that I was chatting with smiled and says, yes, we need more joy. And I thought, isn't that good? This person realizes that if we're going to get joy, we're going to learn how to get joy from God through the study of the book of Philippians. And so I'm looking forward to that. And that's why I titled our, our series, Unlocking the Mystery of Joyfulness. Now, not every Sunday am I going to say the word joy, but I will tell you that since joy is such a prominent position in the book of Philippians, as we study it, we will be able to get that joy that God wants us to have. So since in the coming weeks ahead, we're going to listen to we're going to learn about, and we're going to live by the principles, particularly found in this letter that Paul wrote to the church there at Philippi, I believe it's crucial for us to discover how was that healthy church born. Now remember, the church got started, Paul is now much further away, time is now separated from the planting of the church, and now he's writing a letter back to this little church that began to grow. But to find out about how this church was receiving this letter, we need to discover how was a healthy church born. So if you will, you may want to take your Bibles out. Those of you that are using a pew Bible, you can turn to page 784. That way you can follow along in Scripture. You can also look up on the screen or use that little worship folder that's in front of you that might help you with a little outline. So how is a healthy church born? Let me begin by asking a question. How many of you this past year, in the last 12 months, that you've experienced in your own personal body illness or sickness, where you had a bad cold or the flu, or you were really kind of really wretched, we might say? How many of you had a bad cold or anything, sickness in your life? All right, I, I've had that, not much, just a little bit this last year. But what do you do? What are some of the symptoms when you're sick? Well, sometimes you kind of have pain in your throat or your body aches. Often you feel very listless and you don't want to do much. And if you're probably a lot like me, when you're sick, you're a little grumpy. And if you know what I mean, kind of nod your head. When you're not feeling good, you're kind of grumpy. Well, now let's take you more into a social scene. Have you been a part of an organization like a committee or a team or maybe on your job in your work setting or maybe even in a past church where that you know it wasn't very healthy because people were not feeling very good. They were listless. They didn't want to get involved and do things. And perhaps at times they were a little grumpy. How many of you know that in a social setting, not just in a physical where my body is hurting? Would you raise your hand? Well, I know that's happened, and there are times for that. So the real question is, is how does a healthy church begin? And you're going to find that at the time that this church was started, that there were some principles in the planting of this church that made it quite healthy. Now, let me just kind of branch from this. While we're talking about how this church was born, and it was a healthy church, the principles I'm about to give you in a general application could answer these questions. How do I start a healthy business? How do I start a healthy club or committee? 
Maybe some of you are getting ready to launch a ministry in this church or you're getting ready to start your own ministry. How do you launch or how does that ministry get started in a healthy way? So you're going to see some principles for that as we're going to learn how did this church get started in a very special, sovereign way. So how is a healthy church born? Well, let me give you principle number one, and that's this. It must be in response to the leading of the Holy Spirit. In order for you to launch either a new church or a new business or a new relationship, you've got to sense, is God leading you to do this, or is this something that you want to agendize yourself? So what is your real motive? Why are you doing this? And how do you know God is in it? It might be a good motive, but maybe God's not in it for the right timing. This particular church seemed to get started right because we're sensing the leading of the Holy Spirit. This must come first. So you might want to write that in your margin. As you're launching a new church and you want it to be healthier, a new ministry, a new club, you want to make sure very first is the Lord leading in this. So let's look at the first one. When the Lord closes one door, he usually will open another door. There are some of you that perhaps at times we're trying to sense, where's the Lord leading you in this? Well, you can certainly understand that God will often close doors that he doesn't want you to go through, only if you look further that there's another open door out there that he would want you to go through. Now, let me say this quickly. Sometimes he closes a door, but he doesn't open a door immediately, but in time it'll happen. But sometimes he will lead you, and the way he leads you is through the circumstances of his movement, of his power, of his opening of doors. Let me show you what I mean as we begin reading verse 6 here of Acts chapter 16. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Would you underline that phrase? The Holy Spirit, as much as the gospel needed to go out, the Holy Spirit said the timing or whatever wasn't right for them to give the gospel or preach the word in Asia. So, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them there. Now, that's telling you that they had a heart that was turned toward the Lord. They wanted to get the word out. They wanted to get the whole word to the whole world, but at the same time, they wanted to move with the ministry and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so they were waiting, and God closed the door in Asia. He closed the door over here because he was getting ready to do a special church plant in an area called Philippine. We'll talk about that in a moment. Before I go much further, I need to answer this question. When you're launching a ministry, do you do it only by yourself? It seems that as I study the book of Acts, which is not so much the Acts of the Apostles as much as it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the lives of the Apostles, you will see that the majority, if in fact not all of the churches, were started as a team plant, T-E-A-M. So they were planted with teams. So I studied this passage and I came up with the church planting team at this brand new church of Philippi had four members on it. That these are critical. One member of it obviously was Paul. Another guy was named Silas. Another one was Timothy, and you can get that from the first few verses in Acts chapter 16. And the fourth one was Luke. Now, Luke is not really mentioned there, but we know because he wrote the book of Acts, and he uses that personal pronoun often, we or us. So he includes himself in this church planting team. So there's four guys that were sent out by the Lord, and a couple of those guys were going off, going different areas to try to plant a church, and it wasn't until they finally were led of the Spirit that they would then wind up in Philippi. So God closes one door before he opens up another door. So it's generally by a team. It's also, there's generally a call. When they're going out, they're waiting for a call. Let's look at the second bullet point. It says an opportunity sometimes comes through an appeal for help. So sometimes as you're looking, we can say the whole world needs the gospel. 
but sometimes God will lead you through a particular individual or group of people that he is actually now substantiating that there really is a need. Now watch very carefully. Watch this now. Many places on this earth may need the gospel, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they want the gospel. We could look at the world and say the whole world needs this particular ministry, but at the same time, we want to know which ones want to partner with us on the other end to have this happen. So now let's look at this particular appeal. Here's the appeal. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately, notice the word we now, so now Luke is involved, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. And what did we do? We concluded that the Lord had called us through this individual, this vision of this man from Macedonia. The Lord used that vision, that man, called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, if you will look up here for just a moment. I need to explain a little bit more about this particular city. Now, I don't really have the mind of God. I can only kind of suppose what's found in Scripture. They wanted to go to all of these areas, but why did the Lord shut the door there, but he opened up to this area of Philippi? Well, there is a strategic, perhaps, reason for that. So listen carefully. Philippi comes from a man's name, Philip of Macedon. Philip of Macedon, about 400 years before Christ, was the father of Alexander the Great, a great warrior, great conqueror. And so through the course of time, that's how that city got started, was with Philippi, little tiny town at that time. It was located at the base of a mountain near water, a great fertile plain. When it was dry, it was a very comfortable place to live. When it was wet, it kind of got pretty marshy. The other unique thing about this particular city is its, um, it's, its economic roots. In other words, it was located, if you could look up here, if I could kind of draw you up here. I don't have a PowerPoint slide for this, and I wish I had. But it's in what we call northeastern Greece. Greece is over here. It's in northeastern, northeastern Greece. Over here is Italy, and a major city in Italy is Rome. Now, keep that in mind. Italy is here, and you have Rome. Over here, you have Greece, and you have Philippi. Now, Rome was really kind of rocking and rolling almost at the turn of the century, and they came in. And what they did is they conquered, had a major battle. In fact, it is said the biggest battle that the Roman Empire ever fought was fought in the fields of Philippi. And so that little town over there, although it was not connected to Italy and to Rome, became a colony of Rome. And so the people of Philippi, once they were conquered, they wanted to be just like the Roman citizens because it became a Roman colony. So they made their coins like the Roman coins. They dressed like the Romans, not like the Greeks. At the same time, they built their buildings with Roman architecture rather than Greek architecture there. It was a wonderful place to live because they could do things in Philippi. And there was a road that went through Philippi. So any commerce kind of used that as an epicenter and to stop there as it was a part of the Roman uh, Empire. And that was Philippi. Now, that also means this. Now, kids, this is new information for some of you. Basically, in the world, there are three types of people. We call them Jews, Gentiles, and Christians. Jews will always be Jews, even if they're a Christian. A Gentile is anyone who is not a Christian and not a Jew. At this particular time, Philippi was loaded with Gentiles because it was kind of a Roman colony at the time. So it's a part of Macedonia. It was an important city. And so perhaps that's why they were called to that area. And there's where that call came to them. Let's look at bullet point number three, shall we? 
in response to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Keep moving forward and allow him to close doors until the right opportunity is reached. So let's read on. It says, therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. So you want to mark that in your notes right now. So you have Macedonia. It's the most important city in Macedonia, and it was also important to the Roman Empire. So it was a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. So now you've got the church planning team. They all of a sudden know that they were called to go to that city, and now they're there, and they're getting to understand the, the culture of the city. What made this city a little bit different? You notice that they were Jewish people that came to plant that church, but at the same time, there were not a lot of Jewish people in that city. Let's go to number two. So first of all, are we sensing the leading of the Holy Spirit? Number two, it must focus on reaching people with seeking and receptive hearts. It must focus on people with seeking and receptive hearts. The place chosen had to be very carefully done. And it says, on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city of the city, to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who met there. Now, here's some information for you. And I don't want to give you all this background, but at the same time, there's enough for you to know what's about to happen because I'm going to talk about why out of the four people that were on the church planning team, two of them were in prison and two of them were not in prison. And I'll explain why in a moment. But for right now, here's what happens. Paul goes in, and how many remember that even though Paul was called to the Gentiles when he went into the city, what group of people did he want to reach first? Everybody. The Jewish people. To the Jew first. So he goes into the city. He looks up here, and there's no synagogue. Why isn't there any synagogue? Because in order for a synagogue to put together, how many men had to be in order for a synagogue to happen? had to be 10 men in order for a synagogue to at least get started. Apparently, there was no synagogue. We don't see it there. So Paul says, where would there be? And there happened to be Jewish people that were near or by the riverside. So he went over there. Let's pick up the story. So he went over by the riverside because there were some ladies there. So he carefully chose the place. Customarily, he spoke to the women by the riverside. They were praying there. You knew they weren't praying to some um, false god or idol, so there had to be some bit of, of, of praying being done. The word Sabbath there lets them know that they had to be Jewish because Jewish people prayed on the Sabbath. So he knew customarily they went outside the city. It must have been ladies that were there. There wasn't a synagogue, so he's trying to reach the ladies. So what he's surmising is, I'm, I'm here in Philippi. I'm to plant this church. Who is seeking God that I could be able to reach for Christ? Let's look at the next verse. They need to be spiritually challenged. So now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged the saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded them. Well, here's a question. How do we get a person excited about the Lord? I don't know that we have to get them so much excited about the Lord as much as we have to live a separated life of joy in our life and that God begins to draw them. In Romans chapter 3, in John chapter 6, John chapter 12, it talks about that no man seeks the Lord. And then if we lift up Christ, he will draw people to him. And that's exactly what he did right here with that woman from Thyatira the woman of Lydia there at that particular time. So we present the gospel very clearly, and they come out. So a certain woman was there, and we can see that she came to faith in Jesus Christ. So how's a healthy church born? First of all, are we led of the Lord? Let's take you back in this church. <clears throat> James Cook came to the island. He sensed the need that was here. A group of people wanted to meet. They were seeking God. 
And so because they had a receptive heart, he presented the gospel to them and the church began to grow. He knew where God was calling them and that's why he came. All right, let's go to number three. It must remain strong when opposition comes. Now, some of you are going to launch a ministry. And so you're going to sense the Lord is leading me to do this. It won't be long before the Lord begins to prosper that ministry. And we want to be careful that we don't have a false sense of security because it seems like when the ministry begins to take root that Satan doesn't like it, so he will come against you. So there will be an opposition that will happen to you, whether it's a business or ministry or whatever. It's going to come against you, and that's what happened here. So what you want to do is when you start seeing some problems, look for the Lord and what he is doing behind these obstacles. Let's look at the verse here. Here's what it says. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. So you could circle the word slave girl. What you're going to see now, this girl followed them around. In other words, she was in the midst with them everywhere they went. So opposition is going to come from within. So somebody in the group most often will be influenced by Satan. That person's influenced by Satan. And then that person influences the group. So indirectly, Satan is attacking the group. But now specifically it says who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Would you mark that? Because you're going to see something shift here of why they went to jail and what really went on. Remember, this girl brought them a lot of money. All right, go on. It says, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And then what did Paul do? After she did this many days, he was greatly annoyed and he turned to the spirit and said, I, and, and, and said to that spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but that evil spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. Some people read that and they say, wait a minute. He was talking about the Lord and the way of salvation. Why in the world did he command that spirit to come out of her? Well, for one reason, at this particular point, she had the right message, but she was sponsored by the wrong sponsor, by Satan. So we don't know the tone in which she was doing it. She could have been mocking God. She could have been saying a tone in a way that wasn't clear. Whatever was happening, she was aggravating the situation. Paul knew that she also represented demons and people that would worship demons and made money off a demonic world over there. So he realized that this is a disconnect and needed to stop what was going on. So what he did was cast out that demon. So when you have opposition come against you, you may not be able to verbally cast out that demon. But you do understand that Satan is involved, and this is the time that you lean upon the power of God to bring about a change. Now, keeping with that same thought, I wanted to go to number four, and that is that we must recognize the Lord's involvement in all circumstances. When the church is being founded, we're understanding God is leading, opening and closing doors. We also want to go where they're seeking people, so God is involved. And sometimes we often can see the Lord when there's a great thing that's happening, but sometimes we have to see the Lord, even when we're challenged in opposition, that the Lord is still there helping us and going through all of this. So we see this happening. Now, what should we do when we see the Lord's involvement? First of all, we need to exalt the Lord in, even in our adversity. So even when you're underneath some attack of, of whatever problem you might be going through, I want you to know that the Lord is there and you can still give him the glory. Let's look at this. So persecution wouldn't stop. It says, but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Now look up here for just a moment. <clears throat> this is what you're about to see. What these guys did is they pulled what is known as the race card. 
if you'll see that they came against not Silas and Luke, or excuse, they didn't come against Timothy and Luke. One reason is because Timothy was half Jew and half Gentile. Luke was all Gentiles. These were Gentiles. So out of the four church planters, the ones that these guys came against was Paul and Silas, who were Jews. Now remember, the things that they were most upset about personally was this girl who brought them a lot of money now did not have Satan involved, was now a Christian, so to speak, perhaps, but at least Satan wasn't there. And the bottom line was she wasn't making money for them. So instead of saying, we're going broke because of what these guys did, what they decided to do is to incite the crowd over here that were Gentiles at the time to say, these Jews here are doing this to us Gentiles. And so they were playing the race card with them, did not bring up the money thing, but brought up the race issue. So that's why these two then were drug off into prison and not the other two. And that's the best guess that I can have why that happened, why only two went there. So here's what I'm trying to say. There's going to be a time that when you go into your ministry, you believe the Lord is leading, you sense it. The next thing that's going to happen, you're going to see results, fruit's going to happen, and opposition's going to come your way. For some of us, you can end up by saying, you know what, maybe God wasn't in it. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.